Welcome back to another episode of the Young Guides Podcast. I'm Keaton and this is... I'm Kyle. But first, a word from our partners. First up, we want to talk about Heather's Choice. If you go to the Heather's Choice website and use our code theyoungguides 15 at checkout, you can get yourself 15% off site-wide. So go check them out. We got packaroons for snacks. We got dinners. We got breakfasts. We got a bunch of new recipes coming out to you guys. So head on over to heatherschoice.com at checkout. Use our code, the young guides 15 and get you guys something for your next outdoor adventure. Awesome. For our next partner, we have lucky bug lures home of the bingo bug, zombie max fusion extreme lucky plug F bomb and pike bomb. They take conventional lures and change them up a little bit and it helps your fishing and your luck on the water go check them out www.luckybuglures.com go get yours today all right up next we have northern knits emily up here in anchorage knits wool hats and uh, distributes them through her social media platforms you can find her on facebook or on instagram her instagram account is northern dot underscore dot knits and uh, you can see some of the hats that she has in stock and order from there or you can kind of get an idea of what you want message her and you can set something up uh, to have a specific uh, pattern or color scheme that you want in your hat keaton and i both have one well uh, i actually have several keep you very warm they're very fashionable they look great they feel great You'll look awesome if you wear one too. Check her out, Northern Knits. Next up, we have a friend, Matt, at Alaska Rod Co. He just released a new lineup of rods for the 2022 season. They have a lineup of eight freshwater spinning rods with actions and power for anglers chasing big, aggressive fish. With lengths ranging from six foot to nine foot, there are plenty of options for various applications and style. In a world full of mass-produced rods, Alaska Rod Co. makes sure that rods and services provide what other brands cannot. Rods built and tested in Alaska. Matt also is coming out with a new line of fly rods. Alaska Rodco fly rods are built for harsh environments while maintaining the utmost level of craftsmanship. Right now, Alaska Rodco is nine foot fly rods ranging from five weights to eight weights. 10 foot single hand rods, switch and spay rods will be available late winter or spring. There's enough rod comings out there trying to build the next lightest and flashy rod. Alaska Rodco is here to build you a rod you can pass down generations. Fishing means many things to many different people. Alaska Rod Co. is honored to build you the ultimate tool that connects you to that meaning. If you want to learn a little bit more about Alaska Rod Company, go back and check our previous podcast. We asked him several questions about his rods, his warranties. Um, it does, he does a great job at explaining everything and covering everything about his company also if you have questions you can always dm him or dm us and we can get you going in the right direction so alaska rodco finally we want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the young guides podcast if you can head on over to apple Podcasts, leave us a review and a rating it helps us know that we're Uh, doing this for the right reasons and you guys are giving us some great feedback already you can also head over to spotify they now have a rating feature 
on the podcast there. So if you could let us know how we're doing, that would be great. It also helps you, or excuse me, helps us spread the word through you. Um, but makes us pop up on the feeds um, wherever you listen to podcasts a lot more. If you give us a great rating and a great review, you can also head to our website and contact us through that form. If there's anything that you think we should know about, if you want to be on our show or if there is something that uh, we need to work on, you can also find us on Instagram and same thing. Give us some feedback, drop us a message and we will get back to you. With Instagram, make sure to also check our story. We uh, Before we do our podcast on Thursdays, we always have an option for you guys to ask questions to the people coming on our podcast. Um, and we get we post a lot of stuff that we like to get uh, viewers and people following us involved. So if you want to head on over, give us a follow and uh, start asking questions and join in on the fun on our Instagram page. Without further ado, here's the episode. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Young Guys Podcast. I'm Keaton, and this is... I am Kyle. <laughs> and today... <laughs> and today we have a special guest. Um, I wouldn't say he's your professional hunter or professional fisherman, but he is an all-around great guy, and uh, glad to call him my best friend. Uh, Michael Farns. Um, we uh, we got a few stories that we're going to share through this podcast that I hope you enjoy, and I hope it encourages um, the every you know the everyday person to get out and try either you know hunting or fishing or just getting in the outdoors and, and loving it. So, uh, without further ado, here is Michael Farns. How you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me on here. I'm really excited to talk about this stuff. And, and like you said, and for everybody who's going to listen, I am not a professional, um, like barely even a hobbyist at best. Um, all, all of my experience, not all of my experiences, but the majority of them have been like guided through with Keaton there right at my sides. But so we, I am excited to tell our stories together. And uh, yeah, I, I hope that I can help get some people who are maybe a little hesitant about nature or being outside i hope i can get them out there too yeah absolutely heck yeah well michael why don't we start this whole process by telling us a little about your background where you grew up where you came from and what you're doing sure um i was born and raised in kirkland washington and then i spent pretty much everything from middle school onwards um here in renton washington that's where i am now i'm I, at 17 years old, I left for the Marine Corps, and uh, my job was air traffic controller. Um, and for people who don't know what that is, that's not the guys like on the runway with like the traffic cones and stuff. That's not that's not me. It's the I was in the radar room um, at the actual airport, working both um, military traffic and civilian traffic as well at Yuma International. And um, spent five years there. And obviously, I'll go a little bit more into depth with all these things a little bit later, but just to kind of sum it all up, five years there. And then I got out um, around June of 2020. And I've been here using my uh, GI Bill to put myself through school to work towards my bachelor's degree uh, since. Nice. Yeah. <clears throat> 
can you uh can you elaborate on your job in the marine corps and kind of let people Absolutely. know how uh i mean I, I got to hear it firsthand but kind of let people know how stressful that could be at times and stuff like that for sure um so there's a lot of different aspects of air traffic control and um I'm going to keep it pretty broad just so I, I don't confuse people very much, but at, at a lot of facilities, there is both a tower and a radar room. And the tower is what you see. Like when you, when you land at a runway uh, on a, at an airport, you can see the tower there. And th those are the people who are controlling that local airspace like that. So they're clearing people to take off off the runway, clearing people to land onto the runway, controlling that visual to traffic. And then um, for some of the bigger ones, like I mentioned, we were at a, an international airport. So we had a, a, quite a bit of airspace and um, the radar controllers would talk to the, the aircraft further out, uh, upwards of 50, 60 miles, so on, um, getting control from different sectors. So like I, it, Yuma is in Arizona, it's right on the border of California. So a lot of the airspace that we were working with was California airspace. So we'd be working with like LA Center, um, and it, we work with guys in Phoenix too, to kind of control and make sure that the air aircrafts, uh, went safely from one airspace to another, um, spending time in the radar room. Mostly what I did was clearance delivery and final control. And so that is getting, while the guys are on the ground, the pilots are on the ground, that's making sure that they, uh, are read the correct clearances making sure that they have correct flight plans in, um, making sure that their altitude is good or creating VFR, which is like visual where they're just going to fly around by themselves, making sure that that's all squared away. And then final control is that last part of the descent where they're coming in and you're controlling them from, you know, wherever you take them, but typically seven, nine, 10, kind of in that mile, nine to 10 mile range out and um, getting them safely onto the runway. And that's with controlled turns. That's with uh, descending through the altitudes, glide path calls, making sure they're not too high or too low and uh, traffic calls. If there's any uh, crossing traffic so that nobody hits each other and no mistakes happen. Uh, that's kind of the gist of what the job is. And obviously um, there's a, a whole lot of moving parts in that and that it, applies to the pilots as well, um, reading back and forth between the two. Um, and it, it can get pretty stressful, like you, you were saying, Keaton. Something uh, special about Yuma is they hold what is called WTI, which is Weapons Tactics Index. And that is uh, essentially a, a training regiment that Marines from all the other bases come to, they come to Yuma and they all work here and they all fly here because they have really good, um, we have a lot of airspace and they have really good weather for flying. So that when you're controlling aircraft, not only Yuma's aircraft, but Cherry Point's aircrafts and Miramar's aircrafts and everybody all at once, that can get pretty crazy yeah. when you, you got so many people in your airspace at the same time. That is crazy. A lot to keep track of. So <clears throat> let me back you up a little further too. What was like, uh, what was your driving force to, you know, join the Marines? Like what made you want to go become a Marine? So I think that at around the age 15, 16, I was already pretty set on the idea of the military. Like I, I was from a and I, I want to talk about this too that 
it's been a pretty good stepping stool for me now that I'm utilizing these benefits. And that was what I was thinking at 15, 16. My grades weren't too good. Um, I finished high school with about a 2.8 GPA. So I figured, you know, not a lot of scholarships for grades like that. And I wanted to kind of give myself a better chance to succeed later on in, in the future. And with the Marine Corps specifically, I think that that was my pride. And um, I've, because obviously when you're in a five-year contract, you're going to question, was this the right decision? You're not always going to be happy with it. And I did a lot of thinking while I was in and since I've been out. And I think that ultimately, if, if I had picked another branch, I always would have wondered, what if, or could you have done this? Or, you know, anything about like, man, I wish I would have proved to myself I could be a Marine. So I am grateful for that experience. I'm grateful that I got to prove to myself what I was capable of. Yeah, that's cool. That's, that's a good um, <clears throat> foresight and planning on your part. So, um, Thank you. That as a, yeah, as a, as a teenager and knowing where this would take you as a stepping stool and being able to, to serve your country in the process and then kind of set yourself up for for in the future. So that's awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that. And yeah, the, the service to the country is really big on that too. There's a certain pride and, uh, and also that comes with the, the few, the proud, the Marines, right? Is the, the, there's a certain, um, it, you're setting yourself apart from the rest. And I, for anyone who is, you know, wondering like, oh, if I could do this, if I could, if you apply yourself, you could even make it through the Marines. Like, I, I promise you, like, you, people, I, I watched, you know, 98 other people in, in my platoon, not, not to mention the whole company that I graduated with, with boot camp, but 98 other people that I got to know pretty well over the three months that I was there, who, you know, some of them weren't the, in the best physical shape. Some of them had to lose like 100, 115 pounds just to make it into boot camp. But I saw a crazy amount of determination. And for, for what it's worth, that was like a really unique bonding experience. And I'm, I'm really, I'm really proud of that and proud of everyone who has gone through that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That is a unique staple in your life that you now can hold, you know, um, and it, it will always be with you until, you know, the day that you go. So, oh yeah, absolutely. And, and I, the kind of funny thing about that is like it's it's a it's typical it's like a stereotype but the further that you get away from it i think the bigger that pride for what you did yeah. and you went through kind of grows because you know when you're in it you're sometimes it just felt like a regular nine to five you know especially yeah. working air traffic control and um the only side of anything like deployment aspect that i got to see was doing those trainings in this country like it, wti training so we'd go out in the field and do like basically run-up deployments and all those um operations to make sure that everybody knew what to do in the real scenario but i didn't get a lot of that um of of anything real like that because you know they need you at the airport they it's a different kind of job different kind so sometimes it didn't really feel like the marine corps um and nothing wrong with that but um 
definitely, like I was saying, the further that I get away from it, the more I was like, you know what? Yeah, I, I did do that. And I did make it through the Marine Corps. And I did get to do all these, these practice run-ups and everything like that and see how that whole side of it was. And that side of it, where you're sleeping in tents and where you're con- like building runways and landing planes on those runways and seeing all that happen like right in front of you, that is priceless. That is the experience that I was really, really, really hoping for um, out of my time in the Marine Corps. And so I'm glad I got to see even a piece of that. No, oh, heck yeah. Well, and it's important to you to, to know that, yeah, you might have been stuck in the control room and whatnot, but you're, you're part of a bigger picture, right? Like without you or without somebody in your position, absolutely, the, something else might not happen down the road, right? So it, it's cool how looking back how every little piece is important to this this larger puzzle that's a really good point that's that's absolutely true um that's from from everyone from the pilots from the air traffic controllers to the people who load up the ordnance and the people who gas the planes absolutely every every part of that is crucial for the success of the overall mission that's a really good way to look at it and so i got a question for you mike um yep what was like the average, uh, like when you here, how do I put this? When you went to your training, what was like the average graduate graduation rate for your specific job title? So for air traffic controller, it was, it, it, I I couldn't give you a percentage, but out of a class, I think that I started in a class of like maybe eight or 10, and within the first couple of weeks, we were down to about five. Yeah. So, and, and the training itself is three months long. At, at most, most to be fair, most of the people that are going to not make it through the training are eliminated in the first couple of weeks just because they can't handle that initial level of, it is, it is a lot of information that you have to process really quickly and you're tested weekly and the tests are huge and you can fail if you got a, if you got, if it was a 40 question test and you got 39 or 38 of them, right, you could still fail because if you failed any category of question, so let's say that one category was like, Oh, what are the lighting systems on the runway? And there's two questions about it. And if you get one wrong in that category, you got a 50%, which is a fail. So you'd be, you'd be up for getting kicked out of the schoolhouse just from getting one question wrong. And that is something that happened to me actually. Um, but they, they let me through. I ended up graduating top of the class with honor grads and I got uh, meritoriously promoted for it. So that was really cool. But like e- I'm saying that even like at that point where I was honor grad, I had to go in front of the master sergeant and explain myself <laughs> why I failed a quiz with like a 96 percent on it. <laughs> it is real tough. And it involves um, after you get through like the testing part of it they start giving you simulations and that is more fun. Um, They have some pretty decent tech at the schoolhouse. It's, it's nothing like state of the art or anything, but like uh, they, they have like you're sitting in a simulated tower and whoever is controlling the simulation can make whatever type and however many of planes spawn up. And they'll wait for you to like give the correct, um, like 
you you have to clear the aircraft and then they'll clear it for you and it'll take off. And so you're seeing like what your actions are doing in real time and the effect that it has and they don't save you. So like if you accidentally clear a plane into a plane that's landing on the same runway, it blows up like right in front of you. So you see the consequences of your action. I think that that was really probably the best way to train people for what they're going to have to actually deal with because there are some people that freeze in those situations when the pressure really gets on. And so that's another aspect of it that makes it a little bit more difficult is that you have to be able to kind of think on your feet with it. Yeah. Um, then the, the next, the final phase of it. So like your first phase is the testing. Your second phase is like that simulated tower room. And then that last phase is simulated radar room. And so that's when you're working on final control, which is like I said, where you're giving people like specific turns and vectors. So if they're coming in and you want to turn them, you oh, turn left heading three, four, eight, and then you see, okay, this is, they're drifting left now. And oh, but if you drift them too far left, they're going to miss the runway. If you have them too high, they're going to miss the runway, have to do a missed approach. Pretty cool stuff. It's, it's like I said, it's nothing super new, super fancy, but it really is efficient in training us. Yeah. That's, that's crazy about all the stuff that you have to um, experience. And I, I just kind of, you know, you told this, you tell this stuff to me and I just wanted like the people at home to understand that they're not letting me and Kyle sit up and control airplanes, you know, <laughs> just letting the average guy go in there and be like, yeah, he can land on this one. Go ahead. You know? So I just, yeah, definitely, it's, definitely it's a, a tough one. And there are a lot of controllers that are better than me out there. And I have nothing but respect for them because that, that job is really hard. <laughs> and I felt like that definitely aged me. That was, <laughs> that is a, a stressful job. And I think if you Google like most stressful jobs, air traffic controller has got to be in the top five. So um, yeah, big shout out to everybody still doing it. Unsung <laughs> heroes of the sky. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for getting me in on my flight safely, you know? Oh yeah. My pleasure. So coming, so you're in the military five years doing that coming out and saying you, you had, you know, it was stressful. You had these experiences. Um, did you have any issues coming out of the military and kind of getting back into a civilian lifestyle? Absolutely. I did. That's a really good question, Kyle. I, that is one that I, you know, I'm still trying to unpack a little bit more. So I'm still going through it. When I got out, it was the kind of the heat of the pandemic. Like the, the lockdowns had, this was, cause this was June, the lockdown started in March. So we were still kind of in like the, oh my God, there's no toilet paper, like aspect of, <laughs> of everything. <laughs> Um, yeah, so crazy times and definitely not the climate that I thought it was going to be. So not only am I leaving a place that I had spent my entire adulthood in, like everything from the time that I've, I've had a car and freedom and my own place and everything like that, I'm leaving that to go back to Washington in a in a, com a completely tensions are really high um they're people are you know very scared and they're trying to protect themselves and it's just it was 
I had a lot of, I had a lot of pent up aggression from, I think some of the ways that we were treated and utilized in the Marine Corps pretty unapologetically. And, um, I, I think that the command, especially towards the end of my time in service became a little bit more interested in themselves and promoting their own careers. And they left a lot of us to fend for ourselves. And so I was trying to unpack and deal with that, which had shut me down a lot. Also, I want to say this too, because this is a, at the end of the day, we are going to talk about the outdoors. You can't really go outdoors too much when it's you and it's 125 degrees out, you know? Yeah. I mean, you could, you, there are people that do it, you know, but that's not for me. <laughs> and so, and so that, you know, being, cooped up not only because there's a pandemic but also because if you go outside for fresh air you're gonna boil alive it it added a lot of dimensions of kind of stress and pent-up aggression that I felt like I couldn't get out and so coming out of the military and coming back here something I this is actually a really good transition something that helped ground me and helped me find my center again and kind of let go of the things I was holding on with is getting back in touch with nature. And I, I have Keaton explicitly to thank for that. So thank you really, especially looking back on it now, taking me out fishing, getting out in the water, just seeing like a calm, serene lake around you. And like, it's, it's quiet. It's like not deafening quiet where it rings, but it's deafening quiet where like, it feels like you have earmuffs on almost. And it's just peaceful. That you, you, that experience, you cannot put a price tag on. And catching fish is also super fun too. That, and that's like, it's, it's like a reward for being out there already. You're, you're enjoying the time that you're spending and just seeing how beautiful nature can be. Also, I want to say this, the contrast between the deserts of Yuma versus the forests of Washington, huge, <laughs> huge. That was really big on kind of opening my eyes and being like, hey, it's going to be okay. Look at all this life around you. And that's something also with the pandemic, a lot of people are locked up. And I think that nature healed a little bit too. And so that was really pretty to see as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you're telling me that you would take a pine tree over a cactus any day? You know, believe it or not. Yeah, that is what I'm going to stick with that. Yeah. I just want to kind of go back here like, oh, man, all those people out there, you know, running around in 125 degree weather, like RIP to their skin because they're about to have skin cancer in like 10 years, dude. Yeah, that's facts. But uh, like you can get a, a real nice house with a pool in the backyard for <laughs> way cheaper than here. So, you know, pros and cons to everything. Yeah, that is true. And the price of living in Washington is pretty expensive, but it is definitely a beautiful place and gorgeous nature. So um, let's go back a little bit. Now we're transitioning into the outdoors. Um, how did, did you get in the outdoors? When was like the first, like when was the first time you went fishing? Kind of tell us about that a little bit. You know, the first time I remember going fishing, at least it was at the Kennedale beach, like rainbow trout. I don't know what the actual event is called, but you can catch, I think it's like a five. 
and you can take them home. But they, they host this little thing where they kind of, you know, they set everybody up and you can, you can get your fill of it. And my dad took me. And that was the first time that I remember catching a fish and I was really excited about it. And I was super excited to eat it. And I begged, 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 begged my mom <laughs> to cook it for me. Yeah. And she did. And I hated it. And like, <laughs> nothing against people who love seafood because I, I, I get it. Like, it's just not for me. And as many times as I try it, that doesn't take away the fact that if I catch something and I keep it, I still want to try it. I still want to eat it. Yeah. But I, that is not what I'm out there to do. That is definitely not my main goal when I'm fishing. I just want to add what a terrible way to kick off your first like fish as a, a, a lion. I think it's called the lion's club fishing derby. They do it down at Kulon. Mm, that and, sounds right. And they, uh, the first fish you eat is a white pellet fed stock <laughs> trout in a net that can swim about five in a five by five square that you dropped a piece of power bait in. And it was like a piranha, you know, a bunch of piranhas. Yeah, that's so, fair. I mean, 11 year old Michael definitely yeah. didn't know that. <laughs> that's awesome. So <clears throat> let's talk. So, you, you know, you did the fishing derby um did you like did you feel like you wanted to go out and fish again did you do other things or like what point did you you start to realize like hey I'm gonna try fishing again I want to get back in the outdoors I think that was you Keaton I think that the the biggest like influence that I've had in my life it's not that I I didn't ever want to get back out there and try fishing again but my I didn't really have anyone to teach me and uh, I it's it's a little difficult like any attempt that I had ever made before would end in like I wouldn't know how to um, like put new line on a rod so I'd buy a brand new rod and then it would just sit there because I'm like well I don't really know how to do anything with this and this was you know before every single thing was on YouTube so you could just find a self-help tutorial on everything so that that was a little bit more frustrating and that's like 13 14 kind of age And then I had given it up just, you know, like I said, no opportunities, no mentors until we were, were we both 16 or was Uh, was it the summer after? So 17. Like, I think we're both like 17 when we started really becoming buddies. Yeah. And that was, you were taking me out to all these different places. We bought a little boat together that and we spray painted it camouflage using like leaves and stuff that we found Kyle so this was the thing is I had an airsoft gun I kind of got out of the age of like airsofting so I had this like you know this airsoft gun I was put it up for sale and I'm sitting there one day and I'm hanging out with Michael and this guy messages me he's like hey man we got this flat bottom boat I'll trade you for your airsoft gun so I looked at Michael I was like dude this guy wants to trade me a boat for an airsoft gun. Like, Oh, I'm totally in. And so we got there and the guy like flips the boat over and it's this flat bottom boat. And we, uh, we're like, yeah, this looks great. he's like, uh, yeah, by the way, I had to patch some stuff here. Like there might be a leak or two, blah, blah, blah. We drag it home. We pull it in my backyard. We do all this work. How many weeks of work do you think we put into that thing, Michael? It was easily like that took us probably a month or two to get to like a finished product that we actually put on the water. Yeah. 
and then and then me and michael take this thing up <laughs> we go we go up to lake desire and that was the day remember the like game warden or like a sheriff was there and we we're like pulling out and the guy was just they were just laughing at us because yeah thing, we didn't realize when we got in the water we had about like three inches of clearance between the top of the boat <laughs> and water and if you just sneezed, like a little bit of water would come in the boat. So oh, me yeah. and Michael would sit as still as we could <laughs> and go around the lake, like trolling, you know, trolling or throwing power bait. But if we just like, like one of us would rock or move and we'd just be like, oh shit, don't move, don't move, don't move. You know, there was a couple, like there's this one um, lake by our house that you have to go out like a little canal to get out. And I just... I didn't think I was going to make it back. <laughs> what Those were the days. What yeah. you're telling me, Keaton, is you have a whole history of shitty boats built mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. your life. It started at a young age, and now look at me. Yeah. I'm still putting redfish in it. Uh, I'm still putting fish in a red drift boat. <laughs> Shit. No, it, it was good. I, uh, I think I... Michael left and I had it and I ended up selling it to a guy and the guy uh oh one more story sorry just to steal a show real quick but, but I took Keegan out in it and we were even cl- like closer to the water in it I probably had like half an inch and we went like 50 yards out and turned around and came back because we were like <laughs> I went home that night and put it on like Craigslist I was like yeah, yeah. I'm a different boat. I was like sorry yeah. Mikey no, it's okay. Like it, it barely held us when we were both 16, 17, you know, like yeah. two, two grown men in there that it didn't stand a chance. No, you have to either. lay in there like, like spread out, like, <laughs> like counterbalance weights, but you couldn't put too much counterbalance weights in there or else it'll like bring it down even lower. Yeah. And, I, and we had to like rivet some stuff to like oh, put a piece of that. steel. And like the first time we took it out, it, the rivet, uh, started spraying water into the, the top <laughs> into the boat and me and michael are going around the lake cupping water out but it's not a real <laughs> flat bottom boat if you're not throwing water out of it right yep that's awesome so yeah i was really hoping that story would come up I was, that, was <laughs> that was when you're young and stupid you know yeah i agree full of hope though but we we had a lot of faith in that little boat yeah and we'd slide it here's the best part is we i didn't have a pickup truck i only had an suv so we'd flip the back window open of my suv yep. and it just barely squeezed in and we'd pick it up and slide it in and then we'd bungee cord the window to the boat so it wouldn't like slap and break mm-hmm. oh, and then man. i would hold on to it the entire time that you were driving trying to keep it from sliding out of the back i'd be holding it he oh. got like one bungee going across and michael's holding it in a white towel like <laughs> it was i wish you could have experienced that boat kyle uh I, i'm glad i didn't <laughs> <laughs> we might have not been here today if, if we <laughs> have three people in that boat that's game over yeah that's oh, cool though. that's awesome so that's how you kind of got into the outdoors michael you had you had this goober to kind of introduce you and, and oh, what a terrible mentor <laughs> no. did I, I mean yes and no that not a terrible mentor like <laughs> one thing that i've really liked about keaton teaching me everything 
is that he never made me feel like stupid for it. He, he taught me understanding that I had like a really beginner level of understanding with everything. And instead of like putting me down when I wouldn't get something, he had a lot of patience with me. And I think that that, especially for like people who are trying to get into something is a really important attitude for mentors to have. Because I, I think that if you just shut people down right away, it's going to turn them off from that hobby potentially forever, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, and I think Kyle could speak, Kyle could speak for this, um, is that like, there's a lot of people around you in the industry, um, that are almost, I don't want to say like, well, they, they're kind of discouraging towards newcomers. Like, mm. you, ask, you know, especially when I got into fly fishing, I had a lot of people kind of turn their head or like, didn't want to talk that much because they didn't want to give information up. And I don't think that's like necessarily the right thing to do. I rather have a newcomer, you know, come aboard or come on my boat and like, you know, they want to get into fishing or they want to get outdoors. And I want them to know, like set the standard higher for the mm -hmm. people coming in instead of, you know, just giving them a, like an F you. And then they're out there, like not knowing the regulations or knowing this and killing right. doing this stuff. So it's like, it's almost, you're almost doing more harm to be rude to a person at the start than trying to be like, yeah, this is what you do. This is how you do it. You know, here's a couple tips and this is what I, this is how I'd get going here, you know, and just I think in the right direction. What do you I think? I think that's a hundred percent right. And I was just thinking in my head too, cause you also are the one who guided me through hunting my first deer. And yeah. I'm thinking that that's you. Obviously, and I'll, I'll talk about this too. I had some, I had the Marine Corps training to help me with like, the, it was like guns and rifles aspect of it. And so that part did feel natural to me, but for someone who has no idea what they're doing with the equipment as well. And for hunting, like we're talking about rifles and stuff, yeah. that's even more dangerous to have them out on their own. I mean, obviously there's hunter's education and that's a really good program, but like we did the mentor program. And I, I couldn't imagine being with someone who's very abrasive and is kind of just like, ah, oh, just figure it out. And then, you know, little Johnny with his very first hunting <laughs> rifle makes an uh-oh, forgets that the safety isn't on or something. And, and that is a big problem. A little there, bit more than like a, a hook in your finger, you know, a, bu <laughs> a bullet. It's grandpa's kneecap. <laughs> Damn it, Billy. What, what, is your, what is your two cents on it, Kyle? Like, what do you kind of think about it? Oh, I a hundred percent agree. I, um, so uh, several instances come to mind, but I mean, you go into, uh, it's unfortunate, but you go into some fly shops and if you're, if they know you're green and you have never fly fished before or anything, a lot of times they're going to look down on you or they're not going to treat you the same as say, you walk in and say, Hey, I'm a guy, blah, blah, blah. They're going to treat you way different. And that's not really cool. Um, and I can remember, um, uh, a specific person that, um, is fairly known in the fly fishing industry in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I met this person at a sportsman show. I think I was in early high school. I don't know if I ever told you the story, Keaton. I don't know. And, I was talking to somebody and um, I, so I, my, my Instagram name is Flybum, right? And so I was 
telling, I was telling this guy, I was talking to somebody else. Um, and I was telling, I was telling like who I am on Instagram or whatever. And this other person said, Oh, the other person that's well-known in the industry walks by and the person I'm talking to says, Hey, do you know this kid from the same area you're in? And this person who was, I looked up to in the industry was like, Oh, I'm not a fly bum. I'm a professional. And at that mm-hmm. moment I was like, wow. Okay. You just lost like all my respect. Right. Yeah. And I, I, it's like, you have people like that that just have way too much of an ego and you gotta, you gotta welcome new people into the outdoor. You gotta be more welcoming. You gotta be more friendly. You can't be a dick, especially to like freaking teenage kid. That was kind of, that's, that's just not cool. But and right. you, whether you're an adult man, you're an adult woman, you're a person of different ethnicity, it doesn't matter. Uh, you should always be treated the same, whether you're, you've been fly fishing for 20 years or fly fishing for 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. 100%. And that's, that's cool too. Cause the two different perspectives of someone like me, who's like not already super interested in it, but then you're saying from your perspective, like this was a role model to you. And this is something that you were already interested in. And it didn't sway you away from like the whole like fishing at all. But like that, I would imagine that if like it, if you wanted to be an astronaut and then an astronaut tells you like, fuck you, you're not going to go to the moon or something like that. Like that would that is crushing, especially more so to then then for, for someone like me who's just trying it for the first time. And I'm like okay well then i guess i won't do this you know what i mean yeah well i just want to say too like look uh, especially to the youth right you get like you get a person out you know father son say in our scenario and you're rude to that kid i mean look what happened to you this was when you're like a kid or a teenager right kyle Mm -hmm. and you still remember that moment Mm -hmm. it's like glued to you Yep. And you can, I bet when you're explaining it and it happens to me is when I explain stories, I can almost visualize that moment over and over again. And that's just going to be a big turnoff. And I think right now, uh, more than ever, it's important to, you know, in our industry to drive youth, you know, into the outdoors and into fishing and hunting. And, uh, you know, the, the few that want to try it on their own without trying to encourage them we should be there supporting them as much as we can. Um, so yeah, it's, it's crazy, but that, that's a, that's a great story. And I think that's a good perspective uh, from both of your parts, 100%. And it's, and it's, it's good to hear Michael that, that you've had this, a good mentor in, in Keaton and a person to kind of help introduce you and spend time with you out there and, and teach you. Cause like we've been talking about, that's super important. And it's cool that Keaton could be that for you and, and help you kind of reintegrate back into um, the outdoors. Big time, big time. So what, what, let me ask you, this is going to be a kind of a, I don't know if it'll be a tough one, but what did you find more value in the outdoors after you got on the Marine Corps than when you were before, like when we were just fishing in high school? Absolutely. Um, I think that when you're a kid, things can be like fun, you know, you're, you're still enjoying life. You're still living life. You're still loving life. And, um, that's great. 
and I'm not taking away from young people that are into these activities, but I didn't understand the gravity of how, of like life and how valuable it is and how like everything from like the fish that we've caught to the deer that we shot, like everything that's like a living, breathing creature and how delicate nature can be like none of, none of those big lessons that I think sunk in now weren't even really thoughts in my head as a kid. And I was still out there and appreciating nature. And I've always wanted to like help you in your efforts to clean it. And like, you know, conservation efforts I've always been interested in, but I haven't, I didn't feel in touch with nature until coming back out. And especially that hunting trip where we shot our deer that I, I think that that was probably the biggest like grounding moment that I've had in nature. Yeah um yeah that's yeah super cool do you do you think that being or spending more time in the outdoors and having a, a different outlook and and coming into it with a different perspective do you think that the outdoors has kind of helped you um come out of the military and kind of reintegrate back into life yeah i think that um i think that this is like a little personal, but I mean, Hey, whatever, we're already all right here. Um, I, I think that one of my defense mechanisms when I'm not doing so hot, like mentally, physically, whatever is I kind of shut down and I kind of like numb myself to everything around me. So that's the good and the bad that I can't really feel. But when Keaton and I were out there and I'm, I'm just going to try to transition into like the actual story of us seeing this deer. So we were out there and th this is really unique to me because I've obviously never hunted anything before, but the morning that we shot that deer, I walked out to meet Keaton because he came to pick me up at my house at like, I don't know, three 4 in the morning. And I walked out there and I was confident and I was like, today's the day. Today is the day that I drop a deer and I just knew it. I, I exuded that confidence and there we are right on the brink of daylight, like a couple minutes after, what is it called when you're allowed to start shooting? Like daybreak or shooting light, shooting, shooting light, light. shooting yeah. light. So right after that light started coming through and I could see just what looked like this almost like gray silver silhouette of a deer right on the tree, tree line. And when it's that low light, you know, the shadows flicker and everything. And sometimes your mind plays tricks on you. And so I wasn't hundred percent sure, but I was like, Keaton, I think that's a deer over there. And he was like, okay, let me try the call. And, <laughs> and just like the scenario, like Keaton ran me through like, okay, this is how it should work. Right. We're going to see it. I'm going to call it. We're going to move really slowly. And only when he doesn't look like make your movements. And every time he looks freeze and everything that happened was exactly the way that Keaton said, okay, this is how it's supposed to go down. And so he would call it and it came out closer about 50 yards. And we're like, Oh, and we're it's still a little too far away. I didn't want to like move and look through my sight to see, but we couldn't really tell if it had any antlers yet. And so he calls it again and he gets it about 25 yards in front of us and I see it. And so then it becomes, this is what I'm talking about where like my like Marine instincts kicked in and all the training that I've been through of like knowing how to sight in like quietly, quickly, 
And every time that he wouldn't look, just kind of get myself a little bit closer, find that like perfect point of aim. And what's funny is I was trying to put it um, right behind his shoulder blade, just like how Keaton had told me. But he was standing at about like a 45 degree angle at us. And so I was trying my best to put it right behind his shoulder blade. And I saw the shot and slow, steady squeeze, bang, popped it. And I was silent and I wasn't like, it it was almost like, it was almost like, I can't even describe it, man. It it was a whole nother feeling. And Keaton stands up and he's screaming and he's like, dude, (laughs) dude. And it dropped. That deer dropped, didn't make a sound right there where it stood. And, you know, he was preparing me. He's like, okay, you know, we had, we were probably going to have to like chase it or follow it, you know, make sure, but it right where it stood dropped there. And, you know, Keaton's freaking out and everything like that. I didn't say a word. I just sat there. Like I I put my gun on safe and I put it down and I I was sitting there on that stool I was sitting on just kind of taking in that moment. Like, wow, that really just happened. (laughs) and i just want to add something real quick yeah at that moment the face and the look that michael made i thought i broke michael at that moment i was like michael's sitting here and he just killed something and he's just like holy shit i did this and i'm just like sitting there like I was so pumped for him. And I thought Michael was about to, not like he wasn't going to cry, but like he just was like, holy shit. Like he just saw literally like a deer get hit by a train, you know? (laughs) I mean, basically the way that that thing fell, like that's how it felt. Yeah. And that was because like what I was just talking about before, I had all that that numbness and I I had was kind of turned off to, you know, like, nature and to to life and to all these things that the outdoors helps you like get in touch with and you because you can see it and everything um but in that moment it was like it was like the painkiller started to wear off and all of a sudden like I could start feeling again and so I had so many emotions going through me and when we walked up to it and I got to actually examine the body and everything this was right before we called you Kyle but um, when I was just kind of standing there looking over at, at what we had accomplished and everything that we had done and like taking into account that a, a minute ago, this was a li- living, breathing creature and everything. That was huge. It, it, that is like almost getting in touch with like everything that our ancestors have done because this like modern world that we live in where people are really like far removed from hunting and fishing and nature and stuff is really recent. And even just a hundred, couple hundred years ago, people were actively hunting and fishing for their food and, and getting back in touch with nature like that just opened my eyes and it opened my heart. And I, I did, <laughs> I did cry afterwards. They, they weren't necessarily tears of like sorrow, but it was just an overwhelming emotion inside of me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you got to have in those moments, you got to have a level of respect too. you know, Cause mm-hmm. like we were just talking about this before we came on, 
you know, with Kyle and, and uh, he's just like, no one enjoys the fact of like killing an animal. Right. Mm -hmm. The process of it is wholesome in some aspect. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's something that, whoops, that's something that to, to somebody who, has never experienced that is is really hard because like I'm saying, like I didn't even, these are emotions that I had never experienced before. Oh, and yeah. so I, that was to answer what you had originally asked me, Kyle, like that was the moment I think that tied me back into reality and kind of it set my feet back on the ground and implanted me and was like, wow. Okay, that is real life. I I took I was part of like the circle of life. You know what I mean? That is a, a huge experience, and I'm I'm forever grateful for that. I I just I just want to add too is that we didn't just go out in one day, wake up, eat our donuts and coffee, <laughs> hike up, sit down, call a deer. The deer came in like it was on a pulley system. Like we also spent <laughs> time, you know, a couple weekends before that going up hiking you know i had michael up at like four in the morning all the way till the sun went down pretty much driving home in the dark and we're like soaking wet you know um and we're just chasing these gray ghosts and the way you describe it is why they're called the gray ghost you know how you said that like grayish solo solo you know coming out Mm -hmm. in the morning there's nothing like nothing more challenging in my um in my respects, um, as a novice hunter, I wouldn't say I'm like, I would, I would, the hunting category definitely goes to Kyle. Um, and I think we'll, we'll have a little story here in a second from Michael, but, um, yeah, it, it was a crazy experience. So, mm-hmm. um, put in that, you put in the hard work. It's like, like you're scouting, you're putting in the miles, you're, yes experiencing the weather and it's like it culminates and it's like yeah. you see all that hard work and it all comes together when you harvest that deer and just yes that whole process i can it's it's that keith said it's very wholesome yeah and you're right and that's something i've kind of neglected to mention i'm glad that you guys brought it up because it does culminate that's you've been you've been saying these things in, in different ways i'm like wow that really is i love to get like i love to hear from people who have more experience in like a category or in anything because they have dealt with it so long that they can articulate it really well. So I like that you guys are, are saying like what I experienced to, and I get to hear it from a different perspective, just like how you guys are hearing it from a beginner's perspective all over again. Yeah. But um, that's really cool. And that, that helps me like kind of digest it too, because it really was like, I forgot you don't think about all the hard work that you put into it. You just think about like, wow, this is what we achieved. But yeah, it was like, we were out there on that trail, like a couple months before all that happened. And we were like once every week or two going back up and checking the cameras and repositioning them. If we weren't finding anything on them and trying new spots and everything. But uh, (laughs) that, that there was just something special about that morning. And I think that's really cool too the trail cam game uh, Kyle got me into it. Mm. Uh, I'm glad that you got to experience my first year of the trail cam game. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that there's nothing like it. I like 
you know, there's that point of hunting is, is great, but I also like, and I think Kyle, and I think you could speak for it. There's something about watching like a bear chew up your trail cam or (laughs) a big like bird fly by or a cougar run by on your trail cam or bobcats or coyotes. And it's like for that 30 second window, you're seeing this predator, an apex predator in our category uh, show itself and show it's like true colors and what it does and how it walks and the patterns. You can learn a lot from that and you can apply it to when you are preparing to harvest an animal. Can you, can you speak on that too, Kyle? A hundred percent. I mean, you're basically seeing um, an animal that's a hundred percent on, well, I wouldn't say hundred percent, but undisturbed. Yes. That's word. They're, they're acting as animals should act. So, I mean, you can see an animal in person and yeah, they're going to, they might not spook, might not run off. They might not acknowledge you. They might, but they're going to act different than if you weren't there, but like having a camera there, uh, they might see it. They could smell you on it. So they might act a little bit different, but that's as close as you can get as seeing an animal up close, experiencing what they're doing um on a super close level uh with that camera yeah there's no other way you could experience that unless you were another animal so, mm-hmm. that is that is a cool perspective on that too that too yeah <clears throat> all right kyle you want to continue on the next one yeah so <clears throat> you harvested your deer you're you're you and keaton are standing over this deer you're you're admiring the process you're 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 looking at the culmination of everything that's happened mm-hmm. what do you think about this whole process then from shooting the animal harvesting it and then breaking it down and taking it home for you to consume that if i'm being entirely honest was the most difficult part for me and it's not like it was difficult like emotionally or anything like that but that is where i felt the most lost and like and and we had we were talking about this earlier but that's when you know keaton had to even call you and while you were nonchalantly eating your bacon no big deal in the morning you were helping us like guiding us through harvesting the steer and and skinning it and the whole process of that and you know, the, the, the act of shooting it, like I said, was a lot of secondhand nature because I was already well-versed in like guns and rifles and stuff at that point, but dealing with a dead body, like of of the deer was completely new territory for me. And so I, Keaton can probably attest to this, but the first like 10, 15 minutes, I was just kind of standing over it, like just staring. I didn't even have a whole lot to say. I was just like, Oh my God, (laughs) (laughs) kind of looking at it. Uh, um, I was just like, I, I just knew as soon as it hit the ground, I was like, okay, we got work to do. And, I, you know, I'm not going to take, especially on like a person's first harvest, you're, you don't want to rush them into a process. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was like, we, it's starting to rain and we got, <laughs> we got some work to do. I know how long this is going to take me to get it done. So, you know, I got right to work into as much as I, I knew, but there was a couple questions you know, cause I, I, before that I had hunted with my family. So I had a lot of, you know, my family, my uncles and stuff right over my shoulder, like, Hey, do this, cut this, do that. This is what you do here. 
And um, so thanks for, thanks to Kyle, you know, not, you could probably start a small business around that time and just taking phone calls and helping people through their harvesting. I think the bacon, like eating bacon while he's doing it is also a crucial aspect yeah. of that though. It really adds to the experience. <laughs> didn't, was it who said it? Uh, I think it might've been your wife, Kyle. Someone's like, who just eats bacon while someone's <laughs> just like hacking away at, you know, <laughs> on the other side of the line. I'm like, yeah. So do I cut this part of the stomach? And Kyle's like, <clears throat> hold on, I'm finishing my bite. And then he's like, yeah, so you're going to, you're going to cut right there and there and there. So it was, uh, thank you for that, Kyle. Definitely. Yeah. Also super impressive that we were just describing what was going on and it was like, you were looking at it with us. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it was a pleasure. It was, uh, yeah, I was cooking breakfast when I got the call and then I was like, well, breakfast is done. And so I'm just still talking through the process and just eating breakfast and it was, yeah. And I was just, I just felt like I was there. I could sense the emotion and I knew what you guys were going through and mm. that, oh shit moment. Like, oh, now I, I deer is down what I do. And uh, just being able to work your way through the process, breaking things down. And I think that's, that's one thing that Keaton and I, as guides, we, we kind of get to experience that, right? Where you, you have to break down a complex task into step, oh. easy step-by-step um, instructions. And I think that really helped. And I was like, okay, this is what you're looking at, right? Okay. I can imagine what it's going to be. And I can think of how I'm going to act and maybe things I would think over, but I'm going to break it down in these smaller parts and help you to get, uh, get through the process. And as we were talking before, I know how stressful it can be. And if you're new to it, just kind of this whole process. And I didn't want to be like, Oh, you don't know how to clean deer Keaton. What an idiot. Right. <laughs> I want to be like, Oh yeah, dude, that's awesome. I understand that this is new to you. I'm going to try to break this down. I can be on this phone call as long as I need to. No questions, a stupid question. Let's, let's make sure we don't ruin any meat, get all the meat we mm -hmm. can. Like, we're not going to rush through this. And I think, I think that's super important on, on helping somebody through that. I mean, that, that is a big deal. Like you, you took an animal's life and now you're trying to feed yourself from what that animal provided to you. Um, I just wanted to be a, a part of that. I was honored that Keaton actually gave me that phone call and to have that opportunity to be a part of this whole process. So he did a great job. And, and I want to say, cause you were saying from your perspective, like you could feel the emotion and everything. And that's why you reacted as calmly as you did. That really helped the, the, the calmness and not getting frustrated and everything. It, it really kind of gave us, I think both of us a chance to kind of catch our breaths and be like, okay. And start working on it a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. For so sure. coming back, coming back to the main question, you know, Kyle helped us through it. Um, what was your like thoughts uh, as I'm, you know, cleaning it and you're seeing me pull out, you know, pieces and extremities, you know, like I personally enjoy like the heart and the liver um, really good fried. And I try to use as much as I can, as I hope you saw that um, Michael, as we went through that. Um, and then what was, you know, from that point, and we we brought it down to the truck and then talk about kind of like the whole skinning process and the, the the butchering and leading up to that how was that all for you sure um, as a new hunter um i i want to say that it was 
it's not like it's not like an extremely like gory process or anything if you're expecting like to for people who are maybe new to it and they're a little scared of like that part of it of like the skinning and the harvesting and everything like that butchering and stuff it was um definitely a little jarring right away because like i said i was still kind of in shock and you got right down to it so when i'm standing there like taking into account i just took this animal's life and you're like all right so this is where i'm gonna start cutting right here and you're already starting to like skin it and you've already like made a a, a cut open you've cut it open its belly and you're starting to pull out like the organs and stuff that was like whoa okay whoa 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 what is (laughs) what are we doing here but um once we got it down to the truck and we got it back to your house and we were really focusing on like getting like uh, skinning it and taking the head off and everything like that. It felt more like, okay, this is not, a, I don't want to say a trophy, but I feel like that's one of the better words for it. And that's why they, they it's referred to as that sometimes, but I, I wanted to take really good care of it. And I wanted to honor and respect it because especially in that moment, I was like a little bit guilty that I had taken the life. And so that makes, that made me want to work harder to make sure as little of it went to waste as possible. And I'm still very proud of the Euro mount that we got from it. And it's still hanging up on my wall. And that's something that I get to look at and reminisce on that day. And I have that picture of us with the casing from the the bullet and with that you put the date on too. So that's, those are all really fond memories. And that makes me proud because it's an achievement. And it's something that I got to take home. And um, the the actual like process of, I think the process of getting the meat clean, like after we had skinned it, after <laughs> we had taken off the limbs, after we had taken off the head, getting the actual carcass clean enough for the butcher to accept it was by far the most like frustrating and tedious part of it, especially because by then we were already pretty exhausted. We had been, it was already like a 14 hour day at that point. And then the butcher had flat out told us like, no, this is, there's too much hair on this. So coming back and we tried all sorts of different like techniques and stuff with water, with olive oil, with like the (laughs) wet paper towels and stuff to try to get as much hair off as possible. And when we worked extra hard and then brought it back the next day and they accepted it, that was a really good feeling too. Even though it was tough because we wanted to get it done really fast and we had to wait the extra day, taking care of it and kind of getting to respect the process a little bit more, I think added to the feeling of accomplishment when it was all done. And by the time, because we had gotten... Well, what, some back straps, we got some pepperonis made, we got um, a little bit of neck, um, and some, like, like ground, uh, like, ground venison, I guess, at that point. Pretty much hamburger at that point. Yeah, yeah, and so when we got all that back, and it's all wrapped up all nice for me and stuff like that, and I'm thinking, like, wow. A couple weeks ago, like this was the deer that you saw out in the woods. That was like the kind of the resolution of that grounding feeling of that whole adventure that I got to have with that deer in that whole process of now like, okay, this is food that I'm going to take home and eat. And, and like how I was saying before, how even just in recent history, that was like much more commonplace of people killing and hunting and fishing for their own food. That 
experiencing that in modern times, I think is a really unique experience. And I would recommend for any, anybody that has like the drive or the passion or any kind of interest in it at all, I really re- would recommend it. Like it, 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 not getting out there and putting the boomstick on any old deer, but like respecting yeah. the process and looking at how, how fragile nature can be and how strong nature can be and all of the elements of like the weather and the, the shadows playing tricks on you and every single process of that, it was just huge. <laughs> and, um, and I, I, I really have that. I think specifically the fishing is nice and it's calming, but I think that that hunting experience was much more powerful for me in particular. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it gives you, um, I think it gives you a, a level of respect to, you know, anyone sure. go to Safeway, Fred Meyer, and, you know, grab that package of, you know, one pound package of beef or um, chicken or whatever. But when you're out there and you've done the process and there's just a sense of like this whole process and now you get to enjoy this delicious you know hamburger from this this animal i harvest or you know you get to harvest duck or grouse or whatever you're harvesting at that time there's just i for me there's nothing that compares to that and it gives you you know a different perspective on that market you know if you look at it like that if that makes does that make sense kind of yeah I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like it, you can now see like, Hey, I know what this cow went through to get to this point. Right. Just did it through, a, I think a more natural way. So wait, so Keaton, what you're saying is that the, these, these stakes in the store don't just magically appear. What? What I'm, what I'm saying, unless it's beyond meat, it doesn't magically appear. Dang, I thought this is news to me. <laughs> I thought they just—I thought it just grew off of a tree, and we just picked yep. it and just put it in the in the. You haven't been to a steak orchard yet. They're all next <laughs> in Eastern Washington. No, no, it, but in all, in all reality, though, like that process, I don't think. I think you can enjoy, everyone enjoys their steak, but they don't want to think about that process. And when I go to eat, you know, if it's a wild animal or it's, you know, from the grocery store, I can think of like this cow went from this step to mooing and eating hay one day to now a bullet in the head and it's here. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't want to see that in between point right they'll go see the cow in the field eat the hay and oh how cute is that cow and then oh look how delicious my steak is because you know dan the cow up the road just got a bullet to the head so that's a good point that is a good point and um it's like an ugly truth right because there are plenty of people who still eat meat but would be against that ethically yeah and doing it the way that we did it i have no like moral qualms about it whatsoever like i don't i don't feel like what we did was wrong or anything like that and we treated that that body with respect and this this was at a time that i i didn't really have like much spiritual faith in anything 
but that was a moment that opened me up and like i felt the need to like pray over that deer's soul because we had just like taken its life and that and that's what i'm saying that's the type of like emotion that it sparked out of me as someone who like wasn't very religious at the time wasn't very spiritual that that was that drew that that kind of that feeling of life is bigger than this out of me just from that 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 experience and um there's like some this is kind of some like i don't know different level stuff but there's like an energy around that you know like that moment i don't mm-hmm. know if it's an emotional energy or if it's like like you're saying you know like you just feel like hey like a bit of relief that it went quick and kind of like you always want that you know you hope it is textbook all the time and when you drop it and it you know it's right there done quick right that's ethical everything so it just that energy that comes off of after that process is is nothing you can describe mm-hmm. when you do it yourself. Mm-hmm. I agree one hundred percent. Yeah, I uh, I definitely saw that too last year or twenty twenty uh, when my wife is there uh, for the first. She was that was the first time she's ever been there when I harvested a big game animal and to have her. Uh, part of that experience and to see what she went through and i mean to be totally honest when we um first started dating she was like anti-hunting anti like she didn't need meat like didn't didn't want anything to do with that because <laughs> of what it entailed but once we start talking about conservation once we start talking about uh like management and you talk about uh, animal proximity to humans and conflicts that creates and then this is a meat in the store but this is how you can get it yourself ethically and more healthy and now we're to the point where she has a hunting license she hunts she eats wild game she promotes um, sharing it in the house we have people come over to our house and like wow you have things up on the wall and it's like emily's like yeah that's because i want him to have it up on the wall right so it's, it's been a complete mind shift from no anti-hunting mm anti-meat eating to now understanding it respecting it emily was there i got pictures of her like she was so into that cleaning that bear she actually like snapped the blade on her knife right like she was just so (laughs) that she it's like it's totally something she wants to do and totally something that uh, she enjoys and and supports it's just having this experience like you're explaining of harvesting this deer and just being fully immersed into the process at that point so that's super yeah I, I think that I, I think that the process of like what hunters go through and like I'm saying when I'm talking about hunters I'm not talking about like poachers I'm not talking about people who are just getting out there to to shoot something but people who take this process really seriously and as like as serious as you should I think that the whole hunting industry is kind of misunderstood in the public eye and when people think of hunters, they're thinking of the people that I described first that like, you know, just want, I just want to shoot some guns. I just want to do this. I just want to whatever. And then like, oh, you shoot it and you leave it out there to rot or whatever. But that's not what it is. That's not what the industry really is. That's not what hunting is really about. And just like how your wife being there really helped her, me going through that process is like, you don't have it. You can't keep your eyes closed at that point. You know what I'm saying? You are, you are living that process. 
and having someone like you, Kyle, I mean, you were part of my experience too. So having both of you there and people who know what they're doing and are treating it seriously and are like saying, okay, you know, like life is sacred and everything like this. And we're going to follow the rules and, you know, don't shoot till the till shooting light and every step of the way. And then you still get that deer and you still clean that deer and you still turn that deer into meat that you eat. That is like, wow, <laughs> that, that is a really, really cool whole experience. Well, and I, I just kind of to add on to your perspective is I think that, you know, when you're a child, everyone watches like Bambi, right? Like everyone mm. sees. So in that moment, you got, you know, Bambi's, what is it? I haven't seen it in a while. Is it his father? I think it's the mom that gets shot by the hunter. Yes. So the mom shoots the, and they make him, they kind of put like a window on him. Like, this is what hunters do, you know? This is like, and so as a kid, you're like, oh man, that hunter, you know, just, they just killed Bambi's mom. That's terrible. Now, yeah. Now Bambi's all left alone. And now Bambi has to be a strong, independent man growing up in his life, you know? And so, that's like your first initial punt to that right or hit to that and you're like in your it just kind of gives you bad taste in your mouth until you can get to an age where you're like you can understand and that's how I was up until you know I was like oh I never really wanted to go hunting and blah 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 until I started watching hunting shows and you know my grandfather and my uncle's talking to me about that and without those mentors, I wouldn't be able to have provided the experience for to you, you know, and I, Kyle can attest for this too, is probably without, you know, like he said, his father and, and other figures in his life going hunting and fishing, like we wouldn't be who we are too. So, yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said. And I, and I agree. There are a lot of like, negative stigmas of hunters that they kind of portray in the media like have you seen the the movie open season where they it's all like the the woodland animals and they all team up against the hunters and the hunters are all like drunk and they're like shooting out of the bed of their pickup truck and stuff like that like really they paint them either as like villains or really disrespectful and ignorant and all those types of things but at the end of the day if you're somebody who's out there and you enjoy your burger at the end of the day, just know that somebody did have to kill that animal and somebody did have to go through that process. Yeah. So if it's, if you want to say that it's, it's bad or whatever, then if, if you're part of that, that food cycle too, then it's necessary. And I'm glad that I got an inside look. I'm glad that all of us got an inside look. I really think that it is life changing. Yeah. What a great experience to have. Even if it's like your say that was your only experience, right? Like at least you have an understanding of oh, yeah. something at that point, right? And I'll and I mean, I'm gonna keep that with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, a hundred percent. You'll look back on that, you know. Hopefully we're all sitting one day in a retirement home together, bullshitting about <laughs> this, you know. So um but yeah. It is a crazy ride and uh, we're not all bad individuals. We all want to try to do our part and we, we look at it, you know, and we're told and we try to listen to like our local biologists and we try to listen to the rules they're putting out and the, the times that they're giving us. And uh, 
you know, not everyone wants to break the laws and is doing it on purpose. So um, there is good people. And I think you can attest for that in anything that you do. So. 100%. Well, Michael, <clears throat> we've talked to you a lot. We've been on, on this call with you for a while. We don't want to take up a whole lot of your evening, um, but we've had some great stories. It's a great yeah. conversation. We, we've learned about your background, your time uh, in the Marines, your time fishing with Keaton before um, <laughs> you did that, and then kind of getting back integrated into the outdoors and, and kind of understanding um, this, this whole outdoor process and, and harvesting and providing for yourself. Is there anything that we haven't touched on yet that you think that we should know about this process for you and maybe where you're going, where you're going to take this process into the future? Mm, I think speaking to the beginners or for the people who are kind of on the fence about getting into this, if you want to try this, you don't have to make it your whole life. Like I did with, with the whole hunting thing, like it did take several months, but that was part, like you were saying, part of the culminating process that led to it. And I don't know if I'll be doing more hunting trips in the future. I, I'd like right now, that's just not on, on the table. It's not that I'm opposed to it. I just am focusing on like education right now a lot. And I don't want people to feel like in order to get into this hunting or fishing or outdoors in general, that they have to make it like their whole life. It is okay to get out there and just enjoy the parts of nature that you get to enjoy. And um, I am really thankful and grateful for the opportunity, not only of you guys like helping me through it when I was actually out there, but letting me come on here and talk about it. Um, I think that we summed everything up pretty good. And I hope that I told my story well, and that maybe someone's going to be interested to experience that for themselves. But um, I, I think that's all I got. Heck yeah. Well, we appreciate it, Michael. It's been said, it's been great conversation and I'm sure our listeners are going to enjoy hearing all these stories and, and understanding your viewpoint from just a super cool, super chill dude. That's not out there to just kill Bambis. That's right. <laughs> all right. Now we're, uh, before we let you go, we're rolling into our favorite time and that's our rapid fire round that we ask everybody. Um, so we are very excited. And uh, Kyle, you want to uh, kick this off? Yep, yep, yep. Are you ready for this, Michael? Yep, 60 seconds on the clock. Let's do this. <laughs> there you go. All right. What's your favorite fish to fish for um, and uh, animal to hunt? Okay. Well, I don't have a whole lot of experience, but I'm going to say as, as cheesy as it is, I love trout because that was my very first experience. So there's something really like – wholesome that i connect to my childhood with it and for hunting the only experience that i have is deer i would like to get into hunting some other things but for right now i'm gonna have to answer deer all right all right so i know you're kind of you're new to this but if you were to like go after something else like another species in another location what would be your dream destination to go try to fish or to hunt for I guess if it was like anything that I got to do, I would want to try something really big, like an elk or a moose or something. I feel like that is a, even more so of like a challenge and then a reward than deer. And so that that is something that I, I don't so know if I see myself doing it. But like if you're saying I had the opportunity to go anywhere, hunt anything, something really big like that. Okay, I like it. I like it. 
Would you, Michael, you're... <laughs> would you go back to the motherland where you cut uh, Michael up in the uh, up into the great white north, eh? In the good, uh, good north, eh? Choo, yeah, there, bud. I'd yeah, put the yeah. smackdown on a moose up there in Canada. All right, I like it. I like it. Um, favorite meal, whether it be an actual meal or a snack and drink for when you are out enjoying the outdoors you're fishing you're on your way to go hunting what do you what do you eat what are you drinking while i'm while i'm out there hold on kyle i think you cut out a little bit oh yeah so your favorite meal um or drink when you're out there enjoying the outdoors Ooh. um i don't i don't think that i ever drink anything other than water out there and that's just from always carrying a gallon of water around in Yuma. That's like my go-to is I got to have water on me. But um, when it comes to eating, I like granola bars or protein bars, anything that is like easily accessible. And I don't have to like, like I can hold on to the wrapper. I don't have to get my hands super dirty because that is like a challenge on its own, especially when you're brand new to it and you're really like, new to nature in general just something that i can kind of get down quick to keep me focused on what's at hand sure all right we're you know you or we are headed out to go fishing or hunting what kind of jams are you going to throw on to get yourself hype up wow you know i think that those are two different experiences and with fishing i love me some country music when I'm just sitting out there and I'm waiting for a bite, I'm not a huge country music guy. I'm putting that out there. That is not my, my usual taste of music, but there is something that just feels right <laughs> <laughs> about sitting out there on the water, waiting for a fish to bite and you got some country playing. And with, with the hunting, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to get myself amped up or calmed down. And for honestly, I don't even remember what we were listening to on that car ride. I had like tunnel vision on the idea that I was going to get a deer that day. Okay. If I was to like chime in on this, I think we're on a Pearl Jam kick and we're mm. probably jamming out to Pearl Jam on our way up to go hunting. That only, that feels right. That only makes sense. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. All right, Michael, you're headed out the door you're going fishing, you're going hunting. What is the first thing that you're going to grab that you cannot leave the house without? Water. It has to be water. I was just saying that earlier. I cannot go. I, I will go back. I will drive, turn around to get yes. water. I cannot leave without it. I feel like we've been like halfway to places and Michael's like, damn it, I forgot my water bottle. And then yeah, like, seriously, I make you turn around. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, here's here's the final one. Um, what is something you wish you knew uh, when you first started getting into the outdoors, if it's fishing or hunting related or just in general? That's a good one. Um, I wish I knew to have a little bit more confidence in myself. And... You know, I've, I've talked a lot about how like great it is to have mentors and stuff, but I wish that, especially as like a grown man, I wish that I didn't let you guys hold my hand as much. And I wish that I had gotten my hands more dirty in both like a literal and 
not literal sense. Like I, I wish that I had been a little bit more active in that first process. And so I guess I, I just would tell somebody else, don't be afraid to try it, especially if you're being supervised, especially if you have someone there who knows what they're doing, just like, don't be afraid to, to get the most out of that experience because it is rare, it is unique and it is like super grounding. So be as present in that moment as possible. Heck yeah. That's a great answer. I got, I got one more question, Keaton, before we head on off to our last part is we, we didn't really ask you, I guess, Michael, what is, what are your plans now? Uh, I know you said you're, you're going to school and uh, you're spending more time outdoors. What is your one, what is your career looking like now into the future? And what is your, um, out, how are you going to be spending more time outdoors into the future? So, um, for the first part right now, I'm in school. Um, I'm at Renton tech and I'm getting my transfer associates in business management. And I am, uh, transferring this upcoming winter to UW to finish my, uh, bachelor's in business management there. And, um, with, with that degree, like in, in a perfect world, right. I would love to be a business owner and my time in the Marine Corps as a Sergeant where I got to be platoon Sergeant and then assistant crew chief, and then even temporarily the crew chief. And I got to kind of run things like run the day-to-day operations and look at the bigger picture and kind of like plug people in here and be like, okay, this fits and this fits. That was really fun for me. And I'm really happy that I got to have that experience because it kind of gave me a push in the right direction of something that I wanted to do. So whether that degree just lands me a spot in a management role for somebody else, or if the opportunity presents itself for me to own my own business, that is ultimately where I want to be. And part two question was, how do I, uh, how am I going to continue being outdoors? My biggest thing, I touched on this a little bit earlier. I am huge on Keaton's conservation efforts. And like when we do like the Cedar River cleanup and stuff like that, that is huge. And my whole family comes out and usually I'm out there as like one of the team leaders and stuff like that. And I'll help guide people through a section. And I love that. And even though the process can be really tedious because like we were out there cleaning up actively and people were watching us and littering in front of us. And, and that is kind of, stressful but it's also like this is why we're out here is is to protect nature when other people won't to help keep the rivers clean help keep the parks clean everything like that is just it feels right and that's one of those things where even if you're exhausted after a day of that you walk away feeling good like knowing that you could do your part and that's something that i'm going to be a part of every single year and if there's any other opportunities guys feel free to let me know and i'll do my best to come out there and help as well that's great i'm glad to hear that well well this is uh this is a sad part of the night but uh I just want to thank uh, Michael for taking the time tonight. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, we forgot. We forgot the the part before that. What? Oh shit! Okay, <laughs> Hold back. real quick. Uh-oh. And your favorite. Uh, you do it, Kyle. You take it away. I want you to have this one tonight. All right. So you're we we 
end this we end the podcast with your favorite outdoor moment your favorite outdoor story um that just is going to stick with you forever something that stands out well i think that the number one one is the deer but i've been talking about that a lot so i'll i'll do a number two and this one wasn't that it was super grounding or super anything like that but i remember going to keaton's cabin um and we were out on the little dock boat and we were all fishing i i can't remember if it was i think it was just you me and your cousin mike i think that were out on there and we had a speaker in the middle and we had some nice cold drinks and we were just sitting there at that lake undisturbed pulling in fish every couple of minutes that was just like that feeds the soul those moments like that where you're just having some good old times with some good people and you're out on the water calm and serene and like I said I'm a beginner so I don't have any crazy story I didn't wrangle in some huge fish or anything like that but I those are the moments that make me realize how important it is to be in touch with nature and to be out there in the first place that's awesome 100% agree that's great now it's your turn all right well this is a sad part of the night but also a very happy part of the night and i just want to take a couple uh, minutes here and just uh really i want to thank you michael for taking uh, you know an hour to two hours of your time tonight you know i know you're busy with homework and stuff so thank you for hopping on talking about your experience not only sharing you you get to share a different perspective um, from like my story. So I think that's a really cool aspect of bringing you on. Um, but we just really want to thank you a lot for taking the time and coming on here. Um, and then I also want to, you know, since we're on the topic, I want to thank everyone who takes the time and, uh, serves our country. Um, thank you for, you know, getting out there and, uh, making sure that, you know, we can do these things freely, you know, fishing, hunting, getting outdoors um without worrying of you know anything coming at us so if you are serving or have served you know from the young guides podcast we appreciate uh your service and your sacrifice um so but everyone that is taking the time to listen to our podcast on all platforms spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts. Uh, can't thank you enough make sure to go on apple Podcasts. you can leave us a review give us a five-star rating if we're doing great if we're not tell us how we can do better um, you also can go to www.theyoungguidespodcast.com um, um, we have a, if you you're interested in hopping on here and talking about your experience you're a young guide or an old guide yourself um, feel free to leave us a message uh, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can or if you just want to let us know how we're doing or how we can improve, that would be great as well. Um, so uh, anything else you have to add, Kyle? Um, I was just going to say, even if you're not a guide, like if you have a cool story yeah. like, like Michael and you've got, you have, you think you have something to, that you want to share, um, feel free to reach out to us. We just this week, Keaton, we've had what, two people, two people reach yeah. out to us. Um, Jordan, uh, who's on our previous podcast, he reached out to us originally um, saying that he had a story. And now we're having a couple of people. We're kind of getting to a point where we're having people coming to us. So 
um, that lets us know that we must be doing, doing something right. And um, we're yeah. seeing positive feedback on our social media platforms, seeing more engagement I, that the, the posts I made uh, yesterday about the bears, right? Bear spray or a handgun. So we got a lot of engagement with that. Um, I think it's probably the most engaging post we've had. And it just lets us know that you guys are listening. You guys are watching and we really appreciate that. Yeah. We hope to continue that in the future and bring on more guests such as Michael. And yeah, um, yeah we're, we're enjoying where this is going. We're, we're international now. We've got listens in all over <laughs> Europe and Australia and New Zealand. And we're in um, at, at least if not more than um, half of the States. So just, we appreciate you guys for listening and tuning in and, and uh, liking what we're doing. We, we still think we're kind of fitting into this niche of having new people coming into the outdoors, being featured on the podcast, people you would never know about, or, or people that have an awesome story that you would never hear otherwise, or the yep. young guides who are, they're, they're, they're up and comers. They're not the well-known um, guys that are plastered all over social media. So we really, yeah. really appreciate you guys for promoting promoting us uh and taking the time and you know me and kyle we have some knowledge but i wouldn't put us up in any like above category right we're just maybe above your average joe um and uh, you know we're trying to give you as much you know content and as much stuff as we can to help you provide your experience and we hope that these podcasts if you're looking into getting into a certain type of guiding or if you're looking at um doing you know just trying out a new hobby or anything um this will help really um give you that kind of kick in the ass to get after it so um yeah we just can't thank you enough and uh stay tuned you know i think in the next couple months me and kyle are brainstorming a few ideas i i think we're gonna have some cool stuff hopping up on our web uh on our website and uh hopefully bringing some more great content especially when we start guiding kyle um so uh this was uh once again this was another episode of the young guides podcast and i'm keaton i'm kyle and i'm michael thank you for having me guys (laughs) (laughs) Catch you Uh, on the next one.